is going on anyway? I mean, for real though, what is going on? I generally pose this question redundantly, but I'm really feeling it over here this time. Hi to you. I'm Anne, and this is my podcast. What is going on anyway? This time we are here with the full moon in Scorpio, and it's right alongside a lunar eclipse. And this all seems to be causing some turbulence. Maybe things aren't feeling quite right for you. Maybe even more than usual. I myself am running up against literal roadblocks. And I don't use that word literally much. I try never to use it. You can picture the actual roadblock with a big sign, road closed. And that might be what we're all facing right now in one way or another. Just producing this podcast this week has been one frustrating roadblock after another. And I'm guessing all of us are feeling this in some way or another. Things that should be easy, that have been easy in the past, are suddenly difficult. And it brings up those three-year-old temper, tantrum-y, can't-do-it, hurty feelings. So I think we're all walking around with that right now a little bit. I mean, I don't know if you are, but I am, and some of my friends are, and my family feels that way. And so we're sort of feel like we're in a big mud puddle right now. It does seem like a good time to make space for some of these frustrations to arise and let them be, rather than try to suppress them, which would mean clearing out your schedule if it's at all possible, and not adding extra things as we go through this week. Hopefully next week we'll feel better. It's just right around this full moon is what I am looking at here. While, of course, I'm not an astrologer, I do love my astrologer friends and mentors out there, and they are saying that this is a pretty potent week. It's a time to pay attention, that there could be unexpected and um, unwelcome events coming our way, as you know, that is the potential always. But sometimes it's nice to have a little heads up and think about that. Be prepared. Get rest. Take care of yourself. This may not be the time to try that new thing that you were thinking about trying that um, scares you. <laughs> That's always my advice, isn't it? Wait, wait. I keep looking towards some great future. I know this is sort of um, like an addiction of mine, but I keep looking towards this future of um, springtime, actually, please. I'm looking towards the the bright, flowering, blossoming sitting and enjoying things time and it keeps coming up this sense of turmoil and I always feel comforted by other people saying we're living through the end of days although I don't know how accurate it is because I feel like we've been living through the end of days for many 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 years and so what does that mean is that an excuse or can we simply understand these times in terms of living through the ending of a thing or the ending of a cycle? And is that even helpful? 
I've been getting pretty tired of this sense of it'll be great in the future. And because I do this with all of my divination tools around me, I decided that the thing I was going to do was to open this book and open it to a page and see what it had for me. And I think it was rather spot on. So I'm going to read it to you. This is a very small book. I was camping up at Skudik and this was like one of the last camping trips before my divorce. And I was in a really hard place wondering if I was even going to survive this. And I found this book in the little bookshelf for book sales at this tiny beautiful little library. And it said, the courage to be free. And I thought, oh yeah, that's what I need. So this little excerpt is from that book and the book is by Guy Finley. Whenever our mind imagines a pleasure, going somewhere exciting, envisioning a new relationship, or picturing ourselves more successful than we've been, something else comes to life within us at the same time. Right alongside our newly imagined desire is born a feeling of anxiety. We've all sensed the presence of this disquieting state, even though we're rarely conscious of it. At its outset, this fledgling anxiety remains largely unnoticed and for good reason. Our mind's eye, our attention, is completely centered on the pleasure we imagine will soon be ours. But in real time, in the reality of the moment, another story altogether is unfolding. Please follow the next few ideas closely to help you see the big picture. That was for me, right? That seems like when I read a sentence like that and it sort of shines out to me, this is the advice from the universe saying, Anne, please follow the next few ideas closely to help you see the big picture. Regardless of whatever we imagine, be this some new happiness or sense of wholeness, it isn't real. If it were, we wouldn't have to try and dream it into existence. A closer examination of what happens to us when we place our hopes in a time to come reveals how we hurt ourselves without knowing it. This is me commentating again. That's why I consider that hope for the future, that sitting with the flowers and the bees and there's absolutely no black flies biting me and I'm having a lovely time in the sunshine, that is me. I consider that a kind of addiction because it's taking me out of this, this very moment here. So the last paragraph here. Can we see that there must exist a kind of psychological distance between any dream of happiness to come and the part of us that dreams it up. It's true. There is an implicit but imagined time and space between how we see ourselves in the present and the happier person we will be as soon as. And it's from out of this completely imagined distance that come all of our anxious feelings with their painful demands. After all, before we can know the wholeness we hope for, we must act to close this imagined gap. And the sooner, the better. After all, so much seems to be at stake. Here's the point. It's impossible to imagine a future wholeness without feeling in the present moment, strangely incomplete, as though we're missing something essential. <sighs> I think that's enough, right? I mean, I could just keep reading this book, The Courage to Be Free. It's very sweet, very small, portable. I've had that with or near me for several years now.
And that's what I want to keep bringing up as I reach into the divine for answers, for hope, for advice. There's a part of me that's also potentiating a future that's better than now. And now is fine. I am in a cozy little nest talking to you, trying to make a quiet space to record this. And all is well. And wherever you are, there's some way of accessing that feeling right now. Wherever you're sitting, standing, moving, all is well. We're here. We're here together. Weather report. The snow is really, truly gone. Two weeks ago, I was still able to find a patch of leftover snow in a shady spot in the woods. And then it seems just like that. We've moved beyond. And we've moved beyond May 1st. We're halfway to the summer solstice. We're more than halfway now. It's been really rainy here in Maine. And we've had record rainfall this week, resulting in flooding and even local roadways being washed away. School was even canceled because the power was out and several roads were closed. I read that this was the third highest record flood surge in some places. And there's a brook next to me. If you walk from my house to the river, you can see how the water has created a pathway through the land. It's such a big path. And generally, the brook is so small in comparison, it can be hard to imagine how the topography has meaning in relationship to a trickle of water. But as I walked down the brook, while it was surging with the flooding, and the water was filling this whole space from the high point on one side of the brook over to the high point on the other side of the brook, and I could feel the awesome power of the surging of water, the flooding of water. And actually witnessing that flooding is quite powerful. It feels like the water is angry. It has a lot of force behind it. You know, it felt dangerous to be so close to the rapids that were being formed by the water pushing through down to the river. And I'm thinking about that in terms of the floods and the surges within us, the feeling of rage moving through, something that's really pushing through us. The history of the flooding is interesting because I know now we're having different weather patterns because of global warming, but just hearing the local news and talking about when the last floods were, so there were three major floods in the last 150 and 200 years, and they have the records of them in the local towns. And so the flooding was up. It wasn't the highest that it had been in that recorded history, but it was up. And so when I think about a 100-year cycle of time, and then we have this flood moving through, changing the topography, moving things around, and it's happening at these intervals that aren't exactly regular, aren't daily anyway, and certainly aren't monthly and aren't even yearly. And so I sort of wonder about that for us. Is there some sort of surge coming along with this moon, with this eclipse that's changing the topography and that 
it is something to pay attention to and it's something to be cautious of. I'm certainly not going to walk into the brook when it's raging like that. But it's also something to be in awe of, stand back and pay attention to. The daffodils are here and starting to move towards their end time. The tulips are arriving, blooming. The early ones are blooming. Some are waiting. The trillium is up. And it is a really beautiful flower time around here. I recently posted on Instagram and Facebook for Earth Day about an encounter with a birch tree where the birch elder said to me, it's okay, it's okay, don't worry, I'm here. That's what I heard when I had a conversation with this majestic being. But not just here, more like notice how I take up space with my wholeness. It's a full occupation, you see. There's no room for worry when being is the purpose. And I got a response to that that said, I'm so grateful for people like you who are able to listen to the language of non-humans. I believe this is essential for the preservation of life as we know it. You are a rare gem. And I said, thank you. Someone sometime related to me very early on that the universe loves symbolic gestures. And that has been a key to so many conversations with non-humans in my life. It doesn't matter if there's literacy between us. There's something beyond language. And then after that, language or interpretation is all an art. And then someone else said, please tell me more about symbolic gestures. And so here I am to tell you about the symbolic gestures. I'm almost positive that it was Carolyn Miss talking about intuition in the 90s. And it was learning to trust your intuition that every gesture of trust builds on itself. And when you gesture towards the universe, that you believe in what is being presented, there is a joy and a recognition that there's more to all of this than meets the eye. And is that an inner joy or is it in the universe or does it even matter? Because maybe everything that we know and see is simply a reflection of our inner world. So when I find a heart-shaped stone, some joy in me feels the magic of that, as if I'm being spoken to from a realm that doesn't have direct access to me. I actually have to take a leap in that direction. I have to meet the invisible realm halfway. And I think that's what Miss was talking about. The universe, the divine, I would say, loves symbolic gestures because it's a reaching towards the unknown. And I've felt in my life the meaningfulness in honoring and respecting the unknown, but, and also really, really trusting that there is a something there. There's a vastness that loves me, that cares about me, that needs me here, being present and fully embodied, and willing to do the dirty work of being in a body, being in material form. <laughs> My friend uh, likes to talk about how she is the fairy master of the sewer. Is that what she says? You get the idea, right? <laughs> the fairy boat captain of the sewer ferrying us along in the detritus and excrement. And that is sort of what we're doing here, right? We're really being 
gross and embodied and full of all of the yuck, the filth, the grime. It is not neat and clean and tidy here. And it's also miraculous. I mean, I've got hands. I can do these things with them. Spirit can't arrange flowers or leave gifts or write letters or clean to make spaces for magic to arise. So a very symbolic gesture may be to start with being thoughtful about what colors you wear. Get really intuitive about it. I think that was one of the exercises in the 90s that I tried. Stop, pay attention. And when I started these sorts of practices, I began to move animals out of the road, dead carcasses out of the road. I got a big pair of leather gloves. I kept them in the car. And then I would bless these animals. I would pay attention to them. I would notice the beautiful details of their body and shift them to the side of the road. And this was all before I began doing animal communication. But it is sort of an example of a symbolic gesture. Was I saving all of the porcupines? No. But I was attending to the spirit of the animal, the spirit of the porcupine. And in effect, I was attending to that in me. There's some prickly part of me that gets run over and left unattended over and over again. And the gesture is that I move the porcupine out of the road. And I think the universe loves me for that. Maybe it's just that part of me that loves me for that. And that attention has given me more listening abilities, which really in turn has come in handy for me in some of the professional intuitive work that I do. Other symbols are noticing things, whatever it may be. Getting really present, listening to the sound of the wind, being silly, dancing with the rain, lighting a candle, singing a song to the woods. These gestures, of course, are so personal and innocent. And it comes from some place within that really loves the magic of being here now and attending somehow to the sacredness of being alive. I use symbolic gestures a lot whenever I don't have access to something or someone or a situation, but I feel compelled to manage it. <laughs> That's my old patterning, right? But it can be done in a beneficial way that is non-harming. And maybe you can just think about all the ways that you use symbolic gestures and give yourself a little pat on the back or recognition for infusing your life with consciousness this way. It's especially nice when you're using this activity of expressing symbolic gestures to the universe to gain a wider perspective on something. I do think it helps us to see things differently. Wouldn't it be so lovely to have a guide for the end of times? Does it always feel like the end of times or is that just now? This sort of predicting has gone on for so long. The age of Aquarius, the uh, new millennia. I remember living in New York City in the 90s and hearing about how we needed to leave and become self-sufficient for the new millennia. And there was this um, big fear around Y2K and the world falling apart because it couldn't keep up with the 
<laughs> I mean, this is real. Do you remember that the computers weren't going to be able to switch over to 2000? And so like electrical systems would fail in and, and any way that didn't really happen. So maybe it's all hogwash and always has been, but perhaps thinking about it as a way of considering the past and learning to live in the present can be helpful. I mean, every day is the end of times for what was before. And I love the idea of having a guide for the end of times, someone that could really tell me what to do. But you know, that guide would say, now there is no guide. You're finally on your own. Decide for yourself. Discover how you exist from the inside to the outside and become your own authority. When I had my first baby, I was determined to be the best mother. And I was also really panicked by every move I made, thinking I would ruin him. My midwife looked me square in the eye one day in those early days of having a newborn. And she said to me, this is your baby. You get to decide. You are the mother now. And she granted me in that moment inner authority. Honestly, I'm still working on that. And I'm learning about it in many ways. Recently, I was sitting at a banquet table full of people. And it was my oldest son and his dad on the other side of him and me and another family and a bunch of educators. And these kids were being honored for being student of the year at each of their respective schools. And we were having this lovely conversation with this other family. And we found out that both of these kids had been home educated at different points in their life. And then they were being awarded. And it was so lovely to have that recognition for those kids. And there was uh, an educator or several of them, but there was one uh, professional educator, teacher, she was sitting at the table and she asked us, she said, I've always wondered this about homeschooled students. How do you get them to do what they don't want to do? And pretty right away, I popped up and answered, you don't. You don't have them do what they don't want to do. And something sort of tied up in a neat little package in my mind where I was noticing the difference between what it is to believe in being told what to do, to believe in the goodness of that, and believing that's the right thing, versus finding your way into knowing what to do because it's coming from a desire deep inside. And I watched that happen with my children, where I didn't require them to learn about any particular subjects, but then subjects started pouring out of them and becoming all entangled with each other and building on each other. So it ended up being a big matrix of understanding the world. And I know that's the way learning happens, that happens for all of us, but there's something that gets disrupted some learning gets disrupted when we force people to do things that don't have internal connections. I can't really think of a better way to access learning than through your own desire to learn more. And I am seeking that for myself. I'm relearning old ways of doing things so that I can have a deep and wide web of understanding 
about me and the things that I wish to participate with in the world. And that look on the teacher's face, I could see she wanted to sort of that open mouth like, but, but if you let them do what they want to do, how is that ever going to be? Nothing would work that way. How is that safe? And I guess I would just open up some space here to ponder. If it's safe to learn about the world based on what your desire tells you. And so let's take the example of doing the dishes. Let's say I don't want to do the dishes. If I'm going to do the dishes, I have to have somebody come in and tell me that I have to do the dishes, or I have to be shamed into doing the dishes, or I have to really bully someone else to do the dishes for me, or pay someone else to do the dishes for me. And all of those are methods of getting the dishes or anything else done. But eventually, I might come to the perspective of wanting to do the dishes for all sorts of reasons, appreciating the time, appreciating the food that's gone into creating dirty dishes and loving my kitchen and making it beautiful and just wanting to get my hands in the warm, soapy water, doing something lovely for myself and my family. And that's something that takes a certain kind of flexibility to get your mind around to why something that you don't want to do may become something that you do want to do. And I think I've seen that happen in my children, and I hope that that happens for me and for you and for all of us, that we can really enjoy life as it shows up around us and find ways to participate joyfully with that. I think that takes a lot of spaciousness. So I would say back to if you were trying to get a child to learn something that they don't want to learn or do something that they don't want to do, perhaps there needs to be more space in that situation so there can be a learning opportunity of what would need to shift for me to want to do this thing or what would need to shift for this other person to want to do this thing. And I would ask myself that right now, what needs to shift for me to enjoy this full moon and eclipse? (laughs) And that for me right now is uh, getting more sleep. Generally, that is the thing that goes for me. Getting more sleep, be rested, uh, get grounded. So what needs to shift for me to do a hard thing? And maybe it is involved with developing our intuition and using our intuition to have a relationship with our inner authority and that then we can really interact in a way where we're not bowing down to someone else's authority. We're not needing other people to tell us what to do in order for that to be the only way to get things done. And hopefully we're able to really have true collaborations and relationships based on the full integrity of our connection to our intuition and our sense of authority around seeing, seeing that through and following our own stories. What am I supposed to be doing in the world? What is the point of me? <laughs> and isn't that the... Okay, I'm just going to tell you this. I'm talking to you and I'm driving. And I knew that this section of the road was closed. 
because uh, the flood made washed out a whole section of the road. It's going to take a while before they fix it. And I was talking to you, and I wasn't paying attention, and I just drove straight to the giant <laughs> road close sign. And I think I'm getting the message. <laughs> so for me, driving straight into the road close sign, when I knew that wasn't the way to go, it points out, you know, that's an obstacle. It's not a forever obstacle. That was me running into a literal obstacle, what I referenced earlier. And that brings us to the readings. Hey God, hey universe, hey divine knower of what can be known. What does this full moon have in store for us? What can we know about this time? What will help us understand and make sense of this? And the hexagram that we receive is 63, already across, or after the end, already crossing, and after completion. Ask the question, what is decided? What now? You have committed yourself and made a transition. Even if the change so far is internal, a resolve formed, or decision made, there is a sense in which everything is in place. Now you create success in small ways and in small things. You attend to details, working with what you've already decided or achieved. In following through, you stay loyal to your original reasons for making the crossing. The transition is complete and you are inclined to relax and become complacent. This tendency is what you may expect to experience after the end or climax of a phase. The situation reflects a familiar historical pattern. After a civilization's exhilarating climb to its glorious peak, decline begins. Apathy and irresponsibility appear in everyday affairs. Important social bonds weaken. Decadence and corruption may be found in areas once thought to be above reproach. Although the general tendency is moving towards the less than ideal, you can utilize this coming change in circumstances to develop inner caution and fortification. Such virtues can alert you to situations that must be avoided or dispensed with quickly and firmly. Make it a point to take care of details as they arise. The successful outcome of small efforts is indicated. You cannot avoid the decline that comes after the end, yet you can learn to survive such times and emerge strengthened in spirit and character. And one last little bit here. If anything can possibly go wrong, it will. Your vigilance and attention can arm you against misfortune. I think that's talking about the eclipse. Just be aware that this isn't a time for things to go well for you and prepare for that. We have a changing line one, and that tells us your journey into the new territory is not going smoothly. I'll say <laughs> you are hampered and slowed down, but this is not a sign you're going the wrong way. It's simply a natural consequence of crossing a river and entering terrain unknown to you. Things are bound to be unclear and unsettled at first. 
Slowing your expectations to keep pace with the circumstances gives you an opportunity to orient yourself. And isn't that so beautiful? This sense of thinking of it, giving ourselves that wider perspective to appreciate that while it seems like things are not going well, it's also giving us a chance to orient ourselves to the new. And it changes to hexagram 39, limping, also obstacles, feeling hampered, overcome difficulties by reimagining the situation. Ooh, that's the first time I read that. I like that. That's what I'm talking about. We have to reimagine and rethink things. The key questions to consider, where can you find help? How could you see the obstacles differently? Can you imagine going a different way? So this is a time to take a step back from the struggle and connect with people more than with ideals. Even if the responsibility is yours alone, the work need not be. We've gotten this one before. I don't have it right in front of me, but I know that we've gotten this one before. Really facing a problem means being prepared to tackle it in a different way, not just trudging doggedly onward until the path peters out beneath your feet. When flowing water, the image of the Tao, meets with an obstacle in its path, a blockage in its journey, it pauses, it increases in volume and strength, filling up in front of the obstacle and eventually spilling past it. These obstacles do not spring suddenly in the way of the rushing water, but are, in fact, inherent in the chosen path. Such is the nature of the obstacle facing you now. It is part of the path you've taken and must be overcome before you can continue. Do not turn and run, for there is nowhere worthwhile for you to go. Do not attempt to push ahead into the danger. If you had the strength to do so, you would not have consulted the oracle. That's right. Instead, emulate the example of water. Pause and build up your strength until the obstacle no longer represents a blockage. Oh, I like that so much. And that's what I mean about having the flexibility of mind to see something in a different way. That obstacle of me having a sink full of dishes could simply no longer present a blockage when I love doing dishes. To increase your strength, you must rely upon others. The original text states it's advantageous to see the great man. Bring together those who can help you. Seek advice from appropriate sources. Get in touch with your divine nature. And I would add, seek the great authority within, the great man within or woman within. If you then follow through with persistence and correctness, you will meet with remarkable progress and success. And that's what I like to hear. One last little helpful bit. Many of your external obstacles are, in fact, internally generated, whether you create them in the process of acting out internal conflicts or instinctively choose paths fraught with certain difficulties. They must nevertheless be overcome. These struggles will take place within the self. Often referred to as inhibitions, such obstacles will block your progress. 
Yet if you focus your awareness on them and persevere in constructive and positive thoughts, you will experience great good fortune as your developing character strengthens and prepares itself. So we're all set, right? We've got our plan. We will be opening our minds and reaching to different perspectives to get through this little window of difficulty. And so I leave you now for another two weeks. I hope you find your way through this full moon cycle with ease and a greater understanding of some of your less well-known parts. Maybe there will actually be some relief in having expression of the discomfort of that part of us that struggles when things aren't going our way. That needs expression too. Our angel cards for this time, the first one that's been with me this whole process was trust. And there's something for me in trusting the unknown, that there is a supportiveness in the all of the aspects of the things that we do not see. We also got compassion, sensitivity, I pulled a lot of them, prayer, adventure, and power. I often end a movement practice with a moment of meditative stillness. So let's take a moment here and take a full breath in and let it go. One moment where you reach into that still place. And in that still place, there's a sense of your consciousness reaching out in all directions towards the horizon. And that's very spacious and broad. And then you'll use your consciousness to pinpoint the verticality of your personal unique experience in space and time. So there's some part of your consciousness reaching out in all directions, out to the horizon. And then there's this verticality, this clarity of this moment here, this place here, almost as if it pulses you into the present moment. So here you are in the center of this. And everywhere else, the center, that pulsing place in the center, the crosshair of that vertical and horizontal right inside your body, I feel it just below my heart. That place is infused with the unknown. And in fact, the unknown is what holds its presence. It holds the place for you. And so as we move into this place, appreciating that the unknown is actually quite supportive. It's not something for us to be afraid of. It's being supportive of us living through and experiencing the present moment as it is. I will be back for the new strawberry moon in May. Can you even believe it's going to be strawberry time again?
I look forward to feeling my way between here and there. May you be well. May you know peace. May all beings be well. May all beings know peace. Bye for now.